0: The Starbucks Pistachio latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso, and milk, all with a brown buttery topping, makes today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app ninety two percent of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later ninety two percent because of a bike
2: Hi, everybody. This is Fee Waybill, and you're listening to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Please stay tuned.
1: Hello, Holly. Good
3: afternoon, Dave.
1: How are we today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast?
3: We are fabulous today on the what difference doesn't make podcast this is a, another particularly good day a most excellent day
1: look at you good job thank you the reason we mentioned that is because our guest he was part of the future council you can, yes. you, can you name the future the, the, the two others that were on the future council in bill and bill and ted's excellent adventure
3: i can't can you name them
1: i can't tell or, me of course well the woman, Martha Davis of the Motels. Yes. And taking center, uh, Clarence Clemens from the E Street Band. Oh my gosh, that's right.
3: Yes. Yes. So So.
1: yeah. And Fee Waybill, who is our guest today of the Tubes.
3: This is such a, this is really a spectacular day. I'm very, very excited to talk to Fee. He's had quite an interesting career, more than interesting.
1: Also, it was because he's so interesting, stuff that I'm going to take out of our
3: podcast will be on our YouTube page, right, Holly? So, yes, there will be plenty of outtakes on our YouTube channel. So just when you go to YouTube, just look for the, what difference does it make podcast?
1: Yes. So please subscribe to our YouTube page. Holly posts some wonderful things on there. It's always uh, fun to, to see. And, you know, every Friday, new episode. So always... Subscribe to the What Difference Does It Make podcast, and you'll always be a, get a surprise every Friday. Don't you love surprises? Surprises are fun sometimes. I, don't you? I love surprises. I love surprises. All right. Well, today's surprise is Feeway Bill of the Tubes, and so let's get started on the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
3: Okay. You guys are good? Everybody's good? Yeah. No worries, We're but... sad. Thank you. Thanks for setting us
1: up. Oh, You know <laughs> what? It, it, it's so funny it's always the spouse who helps set up it's- yeah exactly she
2: she takes care of all my zoom stuff her name's elizabeth she she makes sure that uh you know i'm wearing something nice and the hair <laughs> is good and the background is good and
3: you're perfect perfectly framed perfectly dressed hair not a hair out of place you're perfect she yeah. did a great job although yeah know, i'm
1: wondering now who that what that duck is in the background that uh that that golden goose what's going on there yeah it's a that's a
2: big duck sculpture <laughs> i requested that i like that <laughs> a duck sculpture yeah we're in the art room we have a uh, we turned our uh our garage into an art room and uh, my wife likes to, to paint and right now she's like gotten into uh Pottery. We got a, we got a potter's wheel and she's been making pots and bowls and glasses and just, you know, but we're buying clay left and right and tools and she loves it. It's great.
3: But she's actually an artist. This isn't just a pandemic project.
2: No, she's, well, she's been doing the painting thing for a long, long time. We, we, uh, we managed to actually finish the conversion of the garage during the pandemic. And then, it's funny because, you know, she was into this pottery stuff before, but now it's just completely, <laughs> I mean, you can't even get the guy on the phone. You you call him up, no, sold out. You know, you want to you wanna yeah. kill him? Oh, well, that's nine months waiting time. You know, I mean, everyone, the world of pottery is just exploded during the pandemic. So, you know, I don't know, it's really fun. She, t- she got a, for my, uh, what was it, for Father's Day, which is weird because I I don't have any children, but uh, (laughs) for father's day, she got us lessons at a place here in Los Angeles that shows you how to throw pottery. It was great. And we loved it. And we got really into it. We went back like four times and kept making bowls and this and that. And, and so she's kind of taken on, uh, continued on with it. It's been, it's been really fun.
3: Is this a place where someone who doesn't know anything could actually learn?
2: Oh yeah, I didn't know anything. We neither of us knew anything. Yeah. And they sit you down in front of a wheel and they just walk you right. You know, just show you how to slab, put a big hunk of clay on the wheel and and then center it and then pull it up and then push it down and make a bowl. They pretty much only do bowls, so you know. I want to do uh, this.
1: All right. Yeah. Are you turning? Like, are you turning them into bongs or are they just bowls? What's going? on? <laughs>
2: Well, no, not bongs. <laughs> okay. We haven't got that far along yet. That okay, you amazing. will. <laughs> for big vases, and she's really into it. It's great. Oh, that's fun.
1: Uh, the drummer in the tubes also is, uh, he's an artist as well. Yeah,
2: Prairie is, is an artist, and uh, we did, you know, we do all our own artwork. We do our own album covers. We do our own T-shirts. We are any kind of... Artistic endeavor is done by in-house, is, and Mike. When Mike Cotton was in the band uh, originally, Mike was and Prairie were like a team, and they would. You, we we designed our own sets, and we designed you know everything about artistically about the show. We did ourselves.
3: Okay, so speaking of design, I, your newest album, which was actually released last year, right? Right. Fee Wable Rides Again." Uh huh. The cover of it. Yeah. Was that a design from someone?
2: The cover actually it was. it was Prairie. I mean not the photograph you didn't take the photograph. A guy named Brian Randall took the photograph who is who lives with Sandra Bullock. Uh, <laughs> I've heard of her.
1: Oh in, they, is he in Austin she's she's still Austin based, right?
2: No, they moved to oh. uh, uh, Wyoming. not they're I, all going I, off the grid. I tell you yeah. they, they just built a big house there in uh, in Wyoming. But no, but then Prairie did everything else. Prairie did the logo. Prairie did the the. Uh, he put the whole package together for me with the horse in the middle and the. You know, yeah, it was definitely. He's he's the greatest.
3: Nice to have that in the band, like to have all that art concentrated in one place.
2: Yeah, <laughs> or yeah.
3: talent, I should say. His
2: art studio is where we rehearse. He's got a little studio in San Francisco, uh, underground studio and uh, or a below ground level studio and we we rehearse there
1: yeah the tubes are going back on the road do you go does everyone fly into san francisco and and, uh, oh yeah well everybody lives up north except me
2: okay i'm the only uh rick lives in modesto uh prairie lives in san francisco dave lives in santa cruz everybody is pretty much up north there so i fly in we haven't done a gig for 19 months so we actually did have to rehearse we were up there and spent a week rehearsing in the little r- rehearsal hall. And, you know, it's, uh, I was, you know, it's been so long. I thought, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to remember any lyrics at all, but I did. I, it just, it's like, you know, after 45 years, I mean, they just, you just, you know, you don't have to think about it. You just open your mouth and the lyrics come out, you know, they came out. I didn't even think about it. And I remember, I realized, Oh, I know all these songs. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember- I remember how to do this. Oh yeah,
3: yeah. Kind of. I think the pandemic actually played into that—that that fear of I'm I'm losing something.
2: Yeah. Oh, are you kidding? Oh, and, I mean, it was it was especially for for you know for me for you know my life is uh, is live performance on the stage, and that just completely went away. Yeah. And uh, no gatherings. No, I mean, it's all about gatherings. So I was pretty. I had to say my anxiety level was pretty high. I guess now you know the more and more places are starting to mandate vaccinations, which I think is wonderful.
1: Now you're from Arizona originally. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. I grew up in Scottsdale. Although I did watch. I'm not. I I watched an old Letterman interview with you. Are you? Are they allow you into Arizona? It was this <laughs> this this interview from 1983. You kind of uh, you didn't speak kindly on the people of Arizona.
2: Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm so glad I left. I mean, I mean, they're still they're still counting votes. Yeah, for 2020. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's you know, it's 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 always been Republican controlled. Always. It, I mean, ever since Barry Goldwater, you know. And uh, so, uh, you know, I just uh, I can't I can't understand it. I just don't get it. But you know, I don't go there either. So I mean, we're going to fly in. We're going to do a gig at the casino, and then we're going to fly out the next day.
1: So, what is a tube show going to be like in 2021? Is it uh, how
2: is it different? Well, we uh, we're going to kind of continue. Uh, we were doing kind of mid 2019. We started doing the completion backward principle show, where we we start the show and and play the entire album in order and and so we're continuing with that i think only we're doing a, oh, hold on. wait a second what is what's hold on a 2nd What's let's <laughs> is
3: going? someone assigned to that ringtone
2: <laughs> that's, my phone. that's my horse wait wait sammy i'm doing an interview okay <laughs> sammy is is works for the management company he's the son of my manager jonathan Wolfson. And, uh, and that's also what happened in 2019. We, we finally signed with a management company. We hadn't been with a management company for gosh, 10 years. Maybe I, I was the man I did everything. Yeah. I did the, the travel, the hotels, the tax return, everything. And, uh, and, and we, uh, actually thanks to once again, my wife, uh, a friend of hers, a lawyer guy, friend of a husband of her friend said, Oh, you know, you guys really need a management company. And I said, yeah, no shit. And so he got this, he talked this manager, Jonathan into coming and seeing us here in LA at the, at the Kenyan club in Agoura Hills. And he said, man, I want to manage you guys. And so I said, okay, great. (laughs) Here's your application. Phil, please fill this out. (laughs) It's a Live Nation company, and, uh, and he also manages uh, Hall and & and he manages Loverboy also. And, uh, and Mike Reno and I have been f- friends for years and years and years, and so that's kind of fun playing with them, and it's, it is fun. Not kind of. And uh, he's a great singer. God, he's such a good singer. So we took over. So, in the middle of 2019, we, we got picked up by a new agency and Live Nation and a management company. And we started doing Completion Backward Principle. So, we're continuing that. It's fun. It's a good show. It's a really good show.
1: It's a good album. So let's talk a little bit about Completion Backward mm. Principle. Uh, this was produced by, I had no idea, but after listening to it, like, oh, it makes sense. The producer, David Foster, why would a guy like, <laughs> like a Feeway Bill be attracted to David Foster and the band that, that recorded like Chicago. And I mean, I've seen the documentary now of, of David Foster and how insane he is. Yeah. Uh, is. Does that paint a good picture of, of what, the, what this it's, well, what it's like? I mean,
2: He did us before Chicago. Okay. Um, We were with, we were at AM Records from 75 until 1980. We made five records for them and we never really had a hit. We were kind of stuck in the, in the genre of a cool cult band. You know, well, that only, that only, (laughs) that only lasts for so long, you know. And then originally Jerry Moss, I mean, Jerry Moss is a great guy. And and Herb is a great guy. And her you know, we used to go to their the, the studio in, you know, the uh it used to be on La Brea. Yeah. Uh, love it. And we used to go to the studio and hang around and you know, do interviews and we actually painted the walls with giant flying records, you know, and, uh, and Herb would just sit there playing his horn all day long. He had a little, he had a little <laughs> studio on the side of the, in the parking lot and he just sit and he'd just play his horn and just, it was so cool. It got to the point where we couldn't, we just couldn't figure out how to get a hit on the radio and, and they just, you know, they really didn't want to release us, but they pretty much had to. And, and they released us. And uh, we had a friend, uh, a guy named Bobby Columbia and Bobby Columbia used to be the drummer of blood, sweat, and tears. So he was a musician and he loved Prairie. He thought he was so great. And, and he probably still does. And so Bobby was, uh, had moved on to being an a and guy at Capitol and he said, I can get you a gig at capital, but it, you pretty much need to get on the radio. You know, you need to start selling some records and and get on the radio. And and David Foster, and he he knew, I mean, he's the one that brought David Foster in. And David Foster had just, he'd just done Boogie Wonderland with Earth, Wind and Fire. And he had just had a number one song with After the Love is Gone. And he had never done a rock and roll album. It was always R&B. And so he was a little skeptical also. And he came up to San Francisco and uh, he goes, well, you know, I don't know. And, and we played You know, we started playing songs for him. And, you know, we had a bunch of songs we had Don't Want to Wait Anymore and Amnesia and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman and all these songs on Completion Backward. And he thought, wow, this is cool, you know? And, and he, he started helping us arrange stuff and he was a brilliant arranger. And, uh, and it just all kind of clicked. And then we went to the studio and we realized, wow, this guy is such a perfectionist. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to let anything slide, nothing. And the first vocal I did was amnesia. It took me a week.
0: You know, I sang
2: three hours. I mean, you know, I sing and this was before, obviously, before Pro Tools. This was where you, you couldn't fly anything in. You couldn't fix anything. You had to, you couldn't edit anything. It was all 24, tra- 24 track tape. And, you know, I had never been pushed that hard before. And, you know, Todd Rundgren did the record before. And Todd was kind of, you know, like he would kind of go, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that, that's a great <laughs> feel. You know, well, Dave did, David didn't care about feel. It had to be perfect. So I would sing it again and again and again, and you know I sing for four hours, and and then come back the next day and goes, well, let's start over, and then do it again, and then, but it made me a better singer, that's for sure.
1: As you'd been you'd already had four albums out and like okay we gotta we've we've done it one way you know we've done it a rock and roll way this guy might know what what's going on so I'm gonna have the patience to deal with this that you might not have had that patience when it was your debut
2: record well yeah uh I, I mean I, I mean his reputation preceded him, didn't it? And we all knew that. And we all knew, God, if you can just, you know, if you just do what he says and, you know, it's going to work out. I mean, our first album was Al Cooper and we just didn't know what the hell we were doing. And Al kind of led us through. And then we did, we did an album with Ken Scott who, you know, had been an engineer on Beatles records and Ken Scott was, I mean, he, he really had a feeling for engineering But as far as producing goes, I mean, I don't think he said 10 words to us the whole time. We'd go go do a take and he'd sit there and sit there and and go, well, what do you think, Ken? And he would just go, uh, wasn't perfect. And that was it. That was all he said. (laughs) Okay, well, let's do it again then. You know, so we really never had. And then the third album was a live album, Pete Henderson. And that was a great album live in, in London at Hammersmith Odeon. And then the fourth album was now, and that was by a, a, by a producer named John Anthony. We drove him insane, pretty much drove him insane. <laughs> he was an Englishman, he was very proper, and we <laughs> drove him insane. And halfway through the album, he just disappeared. He just okay. Oh, that's it. I'm gone. And he got on a plane and flew back, flew back to England. What's what was what were you guys doing? How how do you how
1: did you set off your producer? What's going on there?
3: How do you drive a producer insane? Yeah, yeah.
2: I don't know. I guess you know we. It, it was a crazy schedule. We were we all still lived in San Francisco at the time, and we had come to LA, and we were playing the whiskey a go go, and we played the whiskey for I think. This, that's what kind of drove me insane. We played the whiskey two shows a night for three weeks in a row.
1: Oh, a residency kind of. Yeah.
2: yeah. Nice. And then at two o'clock in the morning, we're all drunk out of our minds. We would go to the studio to record. <laughs> we would record from okay. like two until 10, yeah. and then, you know, go home and sleep all day. And he had never worked like that before. And here we come in, in the studio after, you know, doing two sets at the whiskey and we're all completely, you know, high as kites. It was he just couldn't handle it. He couldn't. He just said, what, you know, can't we just do a regular session? No, sorry. We're, we're sleeping all day because we got a gig at night. And so that was insane. And then he so he ended up leaving. And so it was left to us and we had a uh, the the second engineer on the product on the project was a a guy named Don Wood, who was a he was like our front of house sound guy for touring. And so he took over and we finished the record with him. and that was not a great record and i mean there was some wacky songs on it but the great part about that record was we had captain beefheart come and play on our record and we were all huge fans of captain beefheart and he played on kathy's clone and we did a beefheart song uh my head is my only house unless it rains and oh so that was really cool and that's the best part best thing about that album
1: talking tubes with the way bill we're having a great time but as we always do we take a break so that is what we shall do
3: Welcome back to the "What Difference Does It Make" podcast, and our guest Fee Waybill. When a
1: band is playing live, so many times it's like
3: they're running on
2: all
1: cylinders, and it feels like that's probably what you guys were thinking at that time. Like this is we're we're playing great, let's capture this yeah. in the studio, and it just it didn't happen for mm. you, huh?
2: Yeah, it just didn't it didn't really happen, and and then then we did remote control with Todd Rundgren, and like I said, Todd was you know he just kind of oh if it feels good oh great it's you know.
1: I do love primetime though. I think, I still think that's a great song. You guys still play that? Oh, yeah.
2: You know, it's a duet. We don't have any, we don't have a girl in the band anymore. Actually, when we, pl- we, we turned it into a punk song you know, what was it was a 2018, I think we went to England and we opened with uh, open for Alice Cooper in big, you know, Wembley arena and big, like 20,000 seaters nice. and, and primetime was a hit in England a single released as a single and it was a hit there and so we we turned it into a punk song so that we we could play it there and but we haven't played it since that's one of the reasons why people keep coming back because uh, other than we're brilliant. Uh,
1: <laughs> Naturally.
2: Uh, but we keep, binging. we keep changing the shows and I keep doing, new characters and we, we drag up songs that we haven't played forever. And, and we, you know, every year or so normally in the past, we do a new show and we did like a Fellini show. We did La Dolce Vita kind of wow. show. And we did a noir film show and and we keep, we constantly change. So anyway, one of our, uh, we're thinking about what the the next show is because once we do these, all these bunch of dates that we've never played completion backward principle, we got to have a new show. And so that's going to require, you know, costuming and rehearsal and figuring it out and, so we're thinking about doing remote control and doing a whole a whole remote control revival and do that album top to bottom. The thing with remote control was we only had a month and that was it. We had a month to put this together and we didn't have any songs. We had just come off tour in in like this, in, you know, November. We took December off and then in, we had January to do the album and then to release it in February and go out on tour again in March. We did that over and over again. We did, you know, March to November. We did that like 12 years in a row and then go back in and do an album and then go back out. And so we had tours, we had a dates, tour days booked. We had everything booked and we had only so much time to do that record. And we didn't have songs, And I had read this book. I kind of came up with the concept of remote control. I actually, I didn't come up with the concept. I plagiarized the concept (laughs) from Jersey Kosinski who wrote being there and at the time I read this book, I, 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 I he wrote painted birdie. I, I really love his books. And I wrote and I read being there and I thought, God, this is so great. You know, the kid who never gets outside, who never has a real experience, it's all virtual. He's, you know, he's shuttered. His parents don't care about him. He sits there and watches TV all day long. So I thought, God, well, this is, this is what a great idea. And so I told Todd about the idea of here, here's a kid who just wants, It's all, and, and that's kind of the ironic part is that that's the kind, that's kind of the way all of us grew up in Arizona, because it was 150 outside and you didn't go outside during the day you were inside watching TV all day long. And you're watching, you know, the, the, the Rifleman and wanted dead or alive and TV Westerns all day long, the Virginian and, you know, paladin and all, oh, and oh, I loved all those and, <laughs> uh, and, and cowboy movies. And so that's kind of the way we grew up is watching TV. And I thought, well, this is so perfect. And so we, we kind of adapted that whole idea and we had no songs. So the plan was we were recording at a little studio in, in uh, San Jose, California, and uh, we would go in in the morning and we'd sit there and, and all all of us, seven of us sit there together with Todd and go, okay, Okay. So it's a, it's about a kid who watches TVD all day long. So what's the first thing? Turn me on. Okay. So then we write the lyrics for turn me on and then we go for lunch and then we go back into the studio in the afternoon and we figure out what is the music for turn me on and how does it fit with the lyrics? And so we come up with the song and then the next day we went in and went okay what what what's next tv is king okay all oh, right okay tv is king and so we did the same thing we write their lyrics in the morning afternoon write the song and record it and i think the the brilliance of that not that we were it was intended was that you know i think one of the things that drives me crazy most about songwriting is second guessing yourself mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, well, I'll try this and we'll try that. And well, let me change this and let me change that. And you second guess yourself again and again and again until you're back to the very first idea you had. You know, it's like you can't beat the demo. You know, you go in the studio and you have a great demo and then you try 18,000 different things and they all suck. And then you, you're you back to the demo. And so we had no time. We had I, I, I can't say that it was intentional, because we had no time we couldn't go back and redo it and re-record and fix this and fix that. So the record was it was one take it was your gut it was what you thought that day. I think that's a good way of, of doing things and like I said it wasn't intentional. We were backed into the a, a, a position and I think that that I, I love that album I think that's a great album. album we did on AM and uh, and then we went on to David. Like I said with those, with the five producers that we had before him, we never had never been exposed to a guy who was so brilliant that he would not accept anything less than per- perfection. And so we just worked and worked and worked and worked, we worked so hard on that record. Everybody did. And I think that's the best record we ever did. And I think, you know, we talk to you later and don't want to wait anymore and amnesia and attack of the 50 50 foot woman. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. It's so fun. It's such, it's so great to, to, uh, to perform it. It's just really, really fun.
3: And it's funny as you pointed out, Dave, Todd Rundgren seems to be for you guys seem to be a more obvious choice. So it's interesting to hear because people, you know, a lot of people we talked to talked about what a you know great producer he is.
2: Yeah, and you know we had known him. Uh, Prairie plays in his band sometimes. Prairie goes out with Todd on tour, and yeah. and so we've you know Michelle Gray, a Tubes dancer, married Todd Rundgren. You know the the, the tour the two, the nineteen eighty six tour the Love Bomb tour. Todd opened for us. We went out and toured all over and Todd and Michelle fell in love and he ended up marrying her. And so there's a, there's a strong connection there. And he's, you know, he's kind of avant-garde. He's kind of like us. He's constantly doing something different. You know, every album he's got a new album and it's a new show. And then it's the, you know, it's the Tiki lounge show or this, I mean, it's just, he he's never satisfied. He constantly is changing and and that's really cool, I think.
1: Yeah. It's kind of the love connection in Tube's community, cause uh cause Prairie also he married uh styles right? The singer.
2: Prairie well, Prairie never did marry Ree Styles, I don't think. Oh okay. I don't I mean they were together for I mean, Ree was our singer from the beginning until uh until about nineteen 80 i think or at 79 i think the remote control tour was the last tour and she's just said i can't do this anymore i can't live in the damn bus anymore yeah. and and they had been together at that point they had been together gosh 15 years maybe i don't know yeah and she left the band and then and they stayed together for quite some time after that
1: so you, you never replaced re as a a no, vocalist. well,
2: we, not really. Uh, we didn't replace, well, we had the, we had Michelle and Cheryl, and we had Cynthia Rhodes, and they did some back, uh, they were dancers, you know, and they did some background vocals, but we never replaced her in terms of of her featured vocalist type person. And then after in the kind of the second incarnation of the tubes, we had uh, another singer. We had another couple of singers here and there and, but they don't last. Those <laughs> group, they don't last on the road. The road is hard, you know, and they don't, we had one girl that, was so worried about somebody seeing her naked, you know, cause we're trying to do quick changes and sometimes the quick change booth is just like a little plastic shack, you know, and she got so upset that so I said, nobody cares. Okay. Just let's just change. I, I don't, I'm not going to look at you. Nobody's peeking around the corner and you know, you're gorgeous. So what do you care? And, but no, she's no, sorry. And that wouldn't work. And so she quit. She moved to New Zealand. You went to New Zealand. Why, why did you do that? There's nothing but sheep there. <laughs> well, I'm had know. to get
1: that far away. Yeah, I had to get that far <laughs> away from the tubes. Like, really.
3: Is there going to be any more acting in the future?
2: Well, I hope so. I want to do Hamilton. Okay, would you? You know anybody on uh, Broadway? I, I want to play the King of England. Uh, on <laughs> okay, I've got the song right here. It's, you know, you'll be back. Yeah. I know the song. I want to do Broadway so bad. I'm going to manifest this dream, and uh, uh, imagination creates reality. That's the theme of completion backward principle. So, but I've done a, I've done a lot of you know. I, I belong to a theater company in Augusta, Michigan. It's called the Barn Theater. I'm a Barney, and <laughs> there's a number of Hollywood actors who are also Barnies. Je- Je- uh, Jeff Daniels is he?
1: One of the, I would think he's from Michigan. He'd be, he's in there, right? Jeff Daniels.
2: Actually, yes. Jeff Daniels has his own theater in Michigan Yeah, and he has performed at our theater at the barn and the barn is a, a Quonset hut milk barn that was converted into a theater. It's about a 750 seater maybe. And it's beautiful and it's just all pristine and it's all red like a barn. And it says the barn, and it's in right outside of Kalamazoo, about five miles, in a little town called Augusta. And Augusta, I mean, let alone no stoplight, they don't even have stop signs. It's so small. And so I've been performing out there since, gosh, for about twenty years. I my first time I did, I went there was ninety eight, and I did Rocky Horror. I did Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror, and I've done that oh, about a hundred times, maybe. And I've done it, but I just, I did uh, spam a lot with, uh, it's funny. I keep channeling Tim Curry. That's all right. That's a good guy. <laughs> I've done them all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he did, the, he did uh, King Arthur and spam a lot and I did King Arthur and he did Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror and I did the, and so anyway, usually if I can break away in the summer, I haven't, it's been a couple of years well, it, it hasn't opened for a couple of years, right, obviously. Right. But uh I think the last time I was there was 17 maybe and we did spam a lot. But you know, it's like a it's like a, a month-long commitment. We go out, rehearse for two weeks, and then two weeks of performances. And uh I got that really it's really great. The kid who runs it, his name is Brendan Ragazzi, and his father started it, who was a Hollywood actor and decided to you know, come, go back to his hometown and open a theater. And he left Hollywood and went back and opened this theater. And then Brendan took over when he, when his father died, and he's now the director of the barn. So uh, cool. and, and it's a EMC school, it's equity member candidate school. So if, we, if you'd like to be a member of Actors' Equity, you can go there and after performing so many hours, I think it's 50 hours, they give you an equity card and sometimes they have, you know, Tom Wopat has been there and Robert Warner has played there and they get Hollywood actors as well. And a lot of sometimes Broadway actors come out and do it. And, uh, you know, sometimes they get rock singers from LA. Yeah. To come <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you have a number of, of characters, personas on, on stage personas that, uh, they might need some fleshing out that might play to, uh, You know, stage show. I
2: haven't. haven't. It's funny. It's funny. uh, You know, I've done Quaalude for so long in the big, big shoes, right? Yeah. And the first time I went out to do Rocky Horror, the costume lady, you know, hands me the pair of. Of open toed pumps, and the heel is about that high. It's about two inches. And she goes, Oh, I'm really good. You think you're going to be able to walk in these? <laughs> They're two inches high. And I went, uh, I don't think it's going to be a problem. Okay. <laughs> I, I showed Does her a picture you? of Quailude's shoes. I said, These are 18 inches. Okay this two these are not a problem for me it'll be no problem so i don't think they i they didn't open i know they didn't open in 2020 and they didn't open i don't believe this year either and these i mean they a lot of the kids are college kids and they audition in like january he goes around to different colleges and they audition and they want to come to the barn and they want to be an a- equity member and and, you know, and they pick, I don't know, 20 kids and then they do eight plays and you have to learn a new play yeah. in two weeks. You have to learn it, whatever it is, rent or Sunset Boulevard or, you know, Rocky or whatever it is, whatever play they pick. You've got to learn it in two weeks and have your lines. And it's really a good it's really good training. It's amazing. It's a it's a great place. Love
1: it.
3: You, sounds you, yeah, it sounds like something to look forward to every summer. You did yeah. audition early
1: in your in the seventies. You had an audition for Night Shift, right? That Michael Keaton got. Is,
2: yeah, how did, I did you?
1: How did you? <laughs> so what? Yeah, what's the story behind that? I would have. that uh, kind of makes sense. I, I don't
2: know. I I had done a a, a small part in a movie called Groove Tube. Was I, I can't remember. It was Proctor and Bergman movie. And uh, and I and somebody knew somebody and said, "Will you?" I didn't have an agent. And uh, they said, well, you auditioned for this. And I, I thought for sure I was going to get it, you know, cause it was perfect for me. Really? And, uh, but you know, Michael Keaton got it. And I actually knew Michael Keaton. We played, we played on a, on a celebrity softball team, Hollywood rollers or something. I can't remember what the name it was, but in Encino and Mike, Mike Keaton was a shortstop and I played first base and he was good. He uh-huh. could play. So it pretty much killed our friendship when he came <laughs> for <forward. laughs> and i didn't all right um, let me
3: ask you about another film which i know it wasn't necessarily an acting role but i just re-watched this again last night
1: xanadu, oh, okay. <laughs> xanadu. you watch you watch xanadu holly
3: no i only watched the scene i only watched watched your your scene how was that ex- an experience like that
2: <laughs> uh well kenny ortega was The
1: choreographer for guess, the movie, so this is this he's the Michael Jackson, so this is right. This is
2: uh, oh, a yeah, serious he's huge. high school yeah, musical, right. yeah. I just n- all n- high school musical one, two, and three. Yeah, he did Michael Jackson, he did Bette Midler, he did share. he did everybody. And he started with the tubes. We met Kenny Ortega <laughs> in about 1973 or four, and he had just come off a, a regional tour of Jesus Christ Superstar, where he was like a background dancer. And he saw us play one night and he said, Oh, well you got, and we were just, we had, you know, we were stumbling on top of each other and had no, you know, no choreography at all. And he saw us and he said, I want to be a choreographer. Can I help you put shows together? (laughs) Wow. And we went, yeah, sure. Come on down. And you know, so yeah, he started with us and He's, he's amazing. Amazing. I mean, he put our whole world together from, from the beginning, from 75 all the way to 86, 87. And he would go out on tour with us and he would, you know, get rehearse with us and put dancers together with us. And oh. Uh, so was he
3: responsible for your, you ending up in Xanadu?
2: Yes, he was. He was the choreographer. And he said, you know, Oh, I got these guys. I, you, you know, oh, they nice. wanted a, a band to play that song, got some dancing to do. And then the other, you know, they had like the forties Andrew sisters kind of song mm-hmm. and that kind of, and they then merged. They kind of they merged. They staged merged together. Right. And that was definitely Kenny's whole deal. Was that a tube
1: uh, song Dan, that you were performing or is that something that Jeff Willen wrote or who, who wrote that? No, dance? no
2: it was uh, uh John Parr. The producer wrote that song. Okay. And uh, people always ask us, you know, why don't you play Got Some Dances to Do? <laughs> we've never, never, we've never played it, ever, <laughs> ever played it. You know, but that's supposedly the number two biggest cult movie of all time <laughs> behind Rocky, Rocky Horror, Horror Picture Show. Yeah. So funny that, you know, we're involved, you know, I'm involved in both of those. And then another movie I did was The Fabulous Stains with Laura, Laura Dern and <laughs> Diane Lane. That was Laura Dern's first movie, and Diane Lane, and uh, yeah. Ray Winston, and the the guys in in the Sex Pistols, Paul Simonon from the Clash, and Lou Adler directed it, and. Uh, who is also, you know, instrumental in the original rocky horror show.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, it's funny, small world. It's all a really tied small together, movie.
1: right?
2: Yeah. And uh, the 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 writer for the movie you know, they they Stephen Paul, they wouldn't say her lines. They said fuck for like every other word in the movie, whatever their line was, there was three or four fucks in it. And she got so, she went, no, that's not the line. Uh, Uh And she, every day she was freaking out because they wouldn't say her lines. And she ended up quitting in the middle of the movie and just leaving and took her name off the credits for the movie and Paramount. It was a Paramount movie and they were so upset by the language that they decided not to release the movie. The movie never got released. Never. And now it's like a video cult it's movie. Another cult, you know?
1: another cult classic. You, cult you're the classics. king of the cult classics. Boy oh, boy, oh boy.
2: And then Ray Winston. I mean, he was the leader of the punk band, Ray Winston. And he's turned into a massive star, yeah. you know? And uh, big time, he was in all these Scorsese movies. And i mean, oh, and just... Sexy beast. Uh, I mean, really, he's, he's really great. He's really great. He really made a career for himself. Yeah. So yeah, I have done some stuff, but <laughs> I, I mean, I, I still want to do Broadway. Uh, my my wife and I love to go to Broadway and we have obviously haven't seen any Broadway in quite a while, but uh, we've seen Hamilton like three times in New York city and come from away. And uh, we saw uh uh the temptations play uh ain't too proud to beg oh that was so great and network with brian cranston was brilliant it was so great i I
1: tell you a a tube story though with your characters in there There, there's something there my friend you gotta take a screenwriting class learn how to put these together you might, okay. You might do the Lin Manuel Miranda, and you'll you'll do you'll be able to you'll get on there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Some, some I was going to say,
3: I would be surprised if so, if you couldn't based it just to who you are. You should be able to meet with some of these people and get your way onto a a Broadway production.
2: <laughs> I'll manifest that. <laughs> That's okay. right.
3: We will too for you.
2: I'll manifest that. There's, right. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> tell us what you creates reality. <laughs> right. Once again.
1: Okay. I guess other collaborations. I want you had you've worked with Richard Marks. He's like uh he's another guy that we wouldn't put together with you, but you guys work well together, apparently.
2: Yeah, well, Richard did the the record, the Fee Waybill Rides Again record. Richard and I wrote all the songs he produced. He's my best friend. Uh we just I just saw him the other day. He's a brilliant I mean, I think the greatest songwriter that I've ever known, the greatest vocalist I've ever known, the greatest producer I've ever known, he gets, he gets vocals out of me that I didn't know I had. Yeah. And the guy is a genius and uh, he lives here in Malibu and actually he just moved to the Valley, but Hey, go Valley. We've been friends for, he met us in the studio. He met me in the studio with David Foster when we were doing completion backward principle. And he just, some kid sitting in the back of the room. And, and at the end of the day, he goes, you know, Hey, I really like your lyrics. Will you write a song with me? And I, I went, okay, well, sure. No problem. And so we became friends and that was, gosh, what 81, I think. So, you know. Yeah, he's. A, he literally
1: he's a kid. was a kid in eighty one. Yeah,
2: I mean he was. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's. Yeah, he never will let me forget that he's fifteen years younger than me. <laughs> so, so he's. A, yeah, he's a kid. Are you?
1: He, are you in his book? He's just. He released a book this year. Oh yeah. Have oh, you read yeah. it?
2: <laughs> I'm, yes, I have. Okay. I've read it. I've, there's quite a number of mention, mentions of me in the book. Absolutely. Pretty. It's a good book. It's funny. There's some great stories in that book and uh and pretty accurate i mean his portrayal of me is pretty accurate you know maybe not all that complimentary but you know that's the way i am you know i mean i i say stupid stuff a lot you know we all do so
1: yeah i put out you feelers talking? for Rod- you gotta tell him to to join our podcast i put on some feelers to get richard on our, on our show and i i haven't gotten response yet but
2: uh okay yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll, <laughs> we got to yes, use I, our connections I, man <laughs> We're we're gonna put. T- I'm gonna do a live uh, fee waybill show and and perform my record. Oh, and nice. Richard's gonna help me put it together. He's gonna help me put the band together and rehearse and get a set list together. And we're trying to figure out a venue where we can do you know a live. I've never done a solo show. Never. I've never done wow. it. It's I've been tubes my whole life. And I really want to perform this record and uh, he's gonna help me put it together and be in the band also, you know, hopefully. testing you know troubadour fee way below the troubadour
1: i would love that that would be something i'd love to see that oh my god yeah That'll be the yeah. yeah. That's the start of your your Broadway resurgence. It's gonna happen. Yeah, there you yeah, go. There you go. I mean, start the Troubadour. Move it all the yeah up the ladder. You got a lot of
2: A lot of people started at the Troubadour. I mean, mm-hmm. it's iconic. You know,
1: Rocky Horror started at the Roxy. That was I know the Lou I, I Lou Adler
2: it. thing. I'm sure I you were there. I saw it at the Roxy before it was a movie. Before it became a big mm-hmm. hit, I saw it at the Roxy, and oh. I mean, Lou Adler, you know, have we've been friends for years and, you know, he he had a, a I don't know if he had a record company that was affiliated with AM or something. But somewhere down the line, you know, we met and uh, well, Lou Adler, you know, hired me to to do the movie in 1980 and to to do the Fabulous Stains movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I just saw him the other day. Well, not the other day, but. Gosh, you know, it's like 2020 disappeared. We'll just, and yeah, just was, say
1: the other day. We'll believe you. That's fine.
2: Right. He was, uh, Kenny Ortega got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And Lou was there. And I was there. And we hung out. And uh, yeah, I remember he was wearing a bright yellow suit with shorts. <laughs> yellow <laughs> shorts. It was classic. Of it was classic.
3: Thank you. This was such a pleasure. Yeah, that was such cool. a total treat.
2: Very cool. well. Thank you. Thank you both. Yeah, appreciate for having me.
3: Thank you for taking the time.
2: Uh, take care. Okay, it's my
1: pleasure. All right. Hey, okay, bye. Okay, we covered a lot of ground, but we didn't cover all the ground.
3: He is so fantastic, and he has had just such a great, varied career. And I think we will see him on Broadway someday. Don't you think he's he's deserving of that?
1: He is. It's yeah. He's created so many different characters, and he can kind of just. Just YouTube Fee Wayville, and you'll see like all these different personas that he's played on stage and in film. I, I think it lends itself well to, to the Broadway stage.
2: So one day, yeah. we,
1: shall, we shall see him up there, I'm sure. Speaking of YouTube, we have, a, we have a YouTube page as well.
3: We do have a YouTube channel. It is uh, at the What Difference Does It Make podcast. And uh, you can see lots, and you can see lots of, of Fee in his, in his raw form today. Excellent. And uh, the, the the one thing that I am sorry about that I I didn't I, I we ran out of time, but you know I I, as I told you prior to this podcast to us talking to Fee, I have two really good friends who are huge tubes and fee waybill fans, and I was hoping to get him to say a personal hello to Marge and Lisa. But how's your opportunity? Give them a proper proper props. So I'm giving I'm giving the shout out to Margin and Lisa. <laughs> I wish, I, had, I wish we had Fee, B, B who came up as John Waybill.
1: I'm sure they know that. They're Uber fans.
3: Uh, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure they do. So Marge and Lisa, shout out to you. I know you will be listening to this, and thank you for that.
1: Hi, Marge and Lisa. New episodes every Friday. I look forward to it. Uh, so please subscribe to our podcast, and uh, we will be back next week.
3: Uh, don't you think we should tell them we're going to talk to you later?
1: oh would you like to take that back
3: no i would not save it for another day
1: oh my god (laughs) gotta go we're proud members of the pantheon podcast family for now i don't know after that if they're going to still stick with us but for now pantheonpodcast.com check them out they have got some good podcasts as well okay so until next time this is dave this is holly check you later over and out 92%